XV Planets as part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Welcome to XV Planets. Greetings, friends and fiends, and welcome back to XV Planets, the podcast where we don't just talk about the paranormal, we put boots on the ground and pursue it in the field. Transmitting from the Black Lodge, as always, I am your host, Flood, and as always, I am very excited to be back here on the mic to dive further into the unknown, the enigmatic, and the just plain weird with you all. I hope all of you are doing well out there and thriving in spite of what seems to be like a string of insurmountable disasters that keep piling up almost by the minute. Fires, floods, hurricanes, and earthquakes, oh my. I wish Art Bell were still alive, friends. I would love to corner him and Whitley Strieber to see if they had any addendums to their book, The Coming Global Superstorm. Sorry to lead with such a bummer, but I think we can all agree at this point that something is wrong, and it's only going to get worse. We were warned that we would cross a threshold, a point of no return, if you will, and common sense paired with a little real-world research will tell you that we passed it sometime in the last 18 months. I have a suspicion that we will see more dramatically erratic weather in the coming years, starting with another bitter, brutal winter that will be coming right around the corner. Well, on other, unfortunately less strange news, let's talk about this uh, UFO Mexican Congress meeting for a second. Actually, I think I can sum it up with one word, horseshit. For those of you who don't know, last week the Mexican Congress held a UAP hearing where known hoaxer and self-proclaimed UFO specialist Jamie Masson rolled out two supposed alien bodies and... Uh, I just can't with this guy. This is not the first time this putz has tried this, probably won't be the last, but what it does mean is a massive step backwards for the ongoing disclosure efforts being made by the true warriors of the movement. I can't even imagine what Ryan Grace was thinking when they rolled those papier-mâché monstrosities out. The further we go down the disclosure rabbit hole, the more charlatans and disinformation agents rise to the surface to disrupt the pursuit of truth. So be mindful of clickbait and do your own research. There's going to be a lot of info pouring out in the coming months, but the fact is, a lot of it is going to be deliberate attempts at disinformation, so bear that in mind. In other updates that are a little more close to home, it is with great sadness that I bring news of Hattie's departure from this realm. For those of you who have been following me from the beginning, Hathor, or Hattie, is the adorable ball python that has been with me since the beginning of this podcast, and is the official mascot for XV Planis. She's that sweet little boop noodle that graces your social media feeds from time to time. Hattie was the sweetest serpent I have ever known, and I have known quite a few. She was curious, affectionate, yes, ball pythons can be affectionate, and loved to be near, or on, people. She was my slithery Houdini, who loved sneaking out of her terrarium and sending me on days-long searches for her, only to find her winding back up in the exact same spot almost every single time. She was my best non-human friend, a great listener, and the sweetest little noodle ever. I'm trying to get samples sent off to some friends who might be able to help me determine the cause of her demise. I sincerely hope I can get to the bottom of this, because she was perfectly happy and healthy until one day last week, and then she shut down real fast. I'm deeply heartbroken, and to be honest, this has sent me into a little bit of a tailspin of depression that I'm still struggling to get out of, so, well, that's why I'm a little late on this episode, and might be again on the next. But I will do my best to pull myself out of the funk, since we are approaching spooky season. I am currently seeking skilled taxidermists with gentle hands that might be able to help me preserve her and those beautiful scale markings reminiscent of E.T., the markings that made me know she was mine and I was hers. 
So if you know of any gifted taxidermists who might be able to help honor this beautiful cinnamon ball python, please send me an email at xvplanis at gmail.com. Hattie, my Hather, my world serpent, you are and will always be loved and missed. Now on to some uplifting and local news. For my southern listeners, Natchez, Mississippi will be home and host to this year's Bigfoot Birthday Bash November 17th and 18th. The festival will be host to a variety of events during the daytime, such as the Bigfoot 4K Run, the Bigfoot Call Contest, live music and food, and evenings loaded with lectures from people like M.K. Davis, myself, and there's bound to be some late-night action at the local bars when all the festivities wind down. Check the link in the show notes for more info, and come and hang out with a bunch of Squatch fanatics for the weekend. For those of you unaware, Natchez, Mississippi could be the site of the very first written documentation on Bigfoot. In 1721, a journal entry was written by French explorer Pierre-Francois Xavier de Chalveau. I'm, I butchered that, I just know it. The explorer wrote that on his first night at the settlement, there had been a great alarm about 9 o'clock in the evening. When he asked the reason for it, he was told about a beast of unknown species, of extraordinary bulk, and whose cry did not in the least resemble that of any known animal. Whatever it was, no one could say they had seen it, but formed a judgment of its size entirely from its strength, and had already carried off some sheep and calves and worried some cows. The explorer tried to convince others that it could have been a wolf, but he could not persuade them. They believed it was some monstrous beast. When it was heard again, everyone ran out armed with what he could find, but it was to no purpose. Local Natchez radio personality, Brandon Gatorman McCraney, upon discovering this snippet of hidden history, took it upon himself to organize the Bigfoot Birthday Bash which will hopefully continue annually and continue to grow and become more involved not only with the local community, but also the national cryptozoology community as well. Also, as an added spooky bonus, there is a very good possibility that during the weekend of the Bigfoot Bash, XV Planis will be hosting late-night paranormal investigations of the Natchez Little Theater. One of these will be closed to the public, while the others we will offer tickets for up to 18 or 20 people. More specific info will be showing up on that shortly. Well, I think that's about it as far as updates go, so let's get back to our review of our investigation at Rhodes Hotel. In the last installment, we heard from Lisa and Todd about their experiences at Rhodes, and tonight, we welcome back XV Planet's regulars Jill and Meg for some different perspectives about what transpired that evening. And we'll get to that next, right after this brief message from our friends over at the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. I'm Steve. And I'm Jason. And we're the hosts of Grognostics, the podcast. Take a journey down the rabbit hole with us as we investigate some of life's most intriguing mysteries while sampling some of the country's finest craft beers. Some topics would include UFOs. What the heck was that? What? Oh, that spaceship? I got some sound effects for our promo. Pretty sweet, huh? Uh, It's a little annoying, actually. Where was I? Uh, UFOs. Oh, uh, the disappearance of the Roanoke colony. Seriously, Steve? Foreign accent syndrome, reincarnation, uh, mediums and psychics, nothing? Well, that's better. Cosmic quandaries, sex in the ancient world. Okay, that's it. I'm done. You can find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. That's Grognostics, G-R-O-G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S.
Did we talk about the weird stuff that happened when we first got there? Uh, what, which weird stuff? I, I don't think we have actually touched on anything for the first like couple hours, so please. Once again, you know how when you, you look back and I was thinking, oh, not very much happened. I spent a little more time reflecting on it. So Megan got a nosebleed. We just walked into the building and she got a nosebleed right in the front room. And I believe we were starting to, it was just like a fighting vibe. I was like, oh my gosh, did somebody like, were there like fist fights here? Right about that time, either right before that or right after, I had taken my 360 degree camera outside and it totally locked up on me. Like my camera just completely glitched out on me. I got a few photographs and I think I had come in. And of course, as soon as I show my camera to Megan, she lays her, you know, magic hands on there. And she was like, it's fine. I don't know what your problem is. And I was like, this thing totally locked up and it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't connect with my phone. So it was something interrupting like the Bluetooth signal. So Megan, do you remember your, your bloody nose as soon as you walked in? Yeah, seeing like yeah, maybe maybe like two minutes after we walked in, I went to the bathroom and I was like, "Oh shit!" Like I like felt like I had like snot or something on my face, and I went like like I rubbed my hand under my nose, and I looked down, and there was blood on it. Um, <clears throat> that's not horribly abnormal for me. I do get like nosebleeds, you know, a couple times a year. I just have weird sinuses, but like to have it happen as soon as I walk in a building was weird. Plus, if you add in what happened later. Like that, it was just a weird coincidence. Right. So, yeah, so that, that does kind of cycle around to, you know, what you're going to talk about later. Cause I didn't, I just didn't know if you guys had, had mentioned that because just like so many of these investigations, I keep thinking, well, not very much happened, but I mean, cause I wasn't there the whole night, but I, I vividly remember that. I remember the problems with my camera. Um, I was a little, my energy was really off when I got there and I don't really remember why. I don't know if it's because we spent too much time at dinner and we were rushing over there. Um, I was a little discombobulated because I had planned on spending the whole night. And then it turned out um, when I come to Indiana, that's kind of my time to get a whole bunch of stuff done. Um, with things that I haven't, you know, completed since I've moved to Florida. And so I had a doctor's appointment first thing in the morning. And so that kind of just like threw me off. So we got in, we had the bloody nose. I was bringing my gear in. Um, everyone had already like picked their room and I was just going to take wherever. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't planning on sleeping that night. John, you were really discombobulated as well. Um, we were standing in that we kind of made our focus the front uh, stairwell there, the main staircase up. And I remember um, Megan and I, we, we were getting some REM pod hits there and we had set some equipment there. And we had kind of focused on that area, kind of where the um, the original front desk used to be, like where you would like check into the the hotel and then, John, you were standing in that hallway and you said that you had somebody walk past you. I actually Do you don't remember that. No. Um, you, you were standing, you were standing to the left of the staircase in that hallway. And I, you, oh, you either yeah. heard something or you saw something. Because no, you I, were, I, I heard the wood creaking on the stairs and I felt wind go right past me. That's what it was. Okay. 
that's what it was. So we were kind of focusing on the staircase because of that activity, which was interesting because that was just a little further removed from the front room where Megan had her nosebleed. So we kind of dealt with that. Didn't feel like anything was going on. Um, and then we had, uh, we chatted with Mike and then he, he encouraged us to focus on the parlor. And then that's when I set up the REM pod and the random number generator in the parlor. And they, they both went off like crazy. Um, I think you said, John, that later you went in and reset the REM pod. Yeah, uh, there, there was, um, cause I, I don't remember who brought it up, but somebody suggested that, that it might've like shorted out. And so we decided to turn it off and then reset it and set it back down. And it, okay. uh, you know, it went off a couple of more times after that, but not like the constant beeping that it was doing, that it, it started doing for what, almost an hour straight. Yeah. And, but interestingly though, the, I was getting random number hits at the same time. My random number generator was making just as many hits as the REM pod, but I know I did, I did, <laughs> it was actually one of the few times I actually got annoyed with how much activity and we were getting. It was just, it was like a headache. It was crazy. It just felt the energy was really, really chaotic really chaotic. So, um, I think I, I think I took the random number generator and I remember, um, I finally came back and retrieved the REM pod. But when we, uh, first were in the sitting room, it was, uh, Megan and Paul, Peggy and Don, and you were somewhere else. I think you were outside on the phone and, uh, it, it finally, finally gotten dark and I took a lot of flash photos. I had everybody close their eyes and I was just taking flash photos while we were getting these REM pod hits and the random number hits. I got a lot of really weird light anomalies in there. I have to say that there were some really strange things that, that showed up on those photos. I don't know if you shared those with me. Would you mind uh, forwarding those to me at some point? Yeah stuff ahead of time because then you know gets lost in our chat stream but yeah i'll i'll send those to you and then i do rem and then we uh we went upstairs i th i think this is well before the uh the attic session unless my memory is failing because i remember all of us sitting all the way at the end of the hall toward the room that had the uh cane outside of it and then John was in a chair with Megan all the way at the other end of the hall that was like set up like a school. There was like a chalkboard there. Mm -hmm. And you were having that Estes session. Um, I was seeing things moving around out of the corner of my eye, which would be that room that the cane was sitting in front of that, that Todd and Lisa took. While we were doing that, I was like seeing little kind of things move. And then your Estes session there was getting really intense because I remember Megan called me down and had me come stand next to you when you were sitting in that that school chair at the end of the hallway. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then we ended that session. And then I think that and then after that, I think is when you went up to the attic. I just came up for the the like the little last bit of that. Yeah. And then I think I left soon after that, but I was there for, you know, when we were observing in the hallway for a while, you were doing the one Estes session on the second floor there. And then there was some weird stuff that was going on in, I think it was your bedroom, whoever had the attic room, the one, that, the room that had the attic access. 
That was where I was originally supposed to stay, but then after everything kind of mixed up and uh, uh, because of the curtains that separated those two rooms, I opted to slide into a different bedroom, which ended up being Sarah's. Okay. All right. So you're sort of driven into that room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and if I remember correctly, in that Estes session on the hallway, I actually did bring up the names of Sarah and... Um, and somebody else. I'll be sure to send. I finally managed to track down because at this point I have like forty-five files of Vesta sessions. I swear to God, I'm going to get better at labeling friends. I really, really am. <laughs> but I'll uh, I'll be sure to send that one over to y'all because the the one in the hallway was interesting. I started spouting off some really weird stuff that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And if I remember correctly, that was the one where I started saying like, "You have no idea how hard it is to train fifty of them." You know, but somebody asked, like, how many people are here? And I was like, you have no idea how hard it is to get 50 of them to work. You actually seemed like not yourself at one point. And I, and I think that's when Megan called me. She kind of called me down. And, yeah, it, we, were, we were starting to get worried about you. Things were getting kind of weird. At this point, that's almost par for the course with me, though. Like, if it's a good Estes session, like, I completely check out. I, I really do. And at this point, like, I don't think it's necessarily anything to be concerned about. Definitely something to watch and, and make sure that I don't, like, go slipping off into the void or something. But um, there does seem to be some sort of, like, meditative or almost channeling-like uh, experience that, that I go through whenever it's a good one. So, yeah, I, them becoming intense, I mean, it's pretty much par for the course at this point. Right. Yes. We... we Learned about you more physically, just yeah, you know, just for for background information. The only time I will probably let Jill or anybody else know while you're doing an ESTA session is when I am, uh, like legitimately worried about your physical safety. Otherwise, I just like let whatever happen. But if it gets to the point where I'm worried about your physical safety, I grab Jill or I tell Walker. I, I I'm like, hey, I don't. This doesn't feel good to me. Somebody else check in on this. Fair enough. Yeah, if I start groaning and wincing, it's probably a good time to to call it quits. Yeah, yeah. You start you start acting like you're in pain. I worry about like your heart rate. Yeah, I I'm in total agreement with Megan. It gets to a point where you actually start seeming to be in some physical distress, and that's when I get concerned. Well, I'm not sure exactly where that that place is though, because I'm relatively certain that the first Esta session that we did was the one up in the attic. Um, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I thought that was the first one we did. Then we tried a second one in the parlor, and then the third one was the hallway, and then that was the one that I was just like, "Yeah, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to be doing this for the rest of the night." Actually, I'm I'm a hundred percent sure that that was the last one because I do remember that whenever we shut it down, I was like, "Cool, I'm done for the night. Yeah, I'm not doing it again." Yeah, you were you were really wiped out after that one. Yeah, we're gonna have to go with the timestamps on these us sessions because the the order is completely escaping me. But um, yeah, it seemed like. Because I came up to the attic kind of at the tail end of that session you were having up there, and you guys were just shaking your heads going, oh, my gosh, this has just absolutely been crazy. It yeah, was, I wasn't, it was crazy. Yeah, I wasn't involved really in the ones on the attic. That was more Lisa and Todd. Uh, I think I stuck my head in for a few minutes, but, like, I think the attic ones happened first. And then the parlor one, because we were doing the stuff downstairs, and then they came downstairs to do the one in the parlor, and then you went upstairs to do it in the hallway. 
Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, Meg's, well, if I remember correctly. Meg, what's your recollection of how things went down in the hallway? Uh, I've, I have just a vague recollection. Honestly, I barely remember that. The thing I remember most is um, the REM pod and the number generator in the parlor. And then the bloody noses. Which ended up coming right. back around, didn't it? So, like, about midnight, I went to take a nap in my room, which was, if you're looking down the upstairs, like, come up the stairs and looking down the hallway, if you go all the way to the back and to the left. I was in room nine, I think, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, back, one of the back corner rooms. And we had just been down in Bloomington doing stuff, and I had probably slept, like, a grand total of seven hours over the last three days <laughs> and was exhausted. And we had a 10-hour drive back to North Carolina in the morning. So I was like, I'm uh, I'm just going to go take a nap. Like, I feel like I need a nap. It was probably 11, 30, 12. So I get up there, I lay down and I think I fall asleep. Like I'm kind of dozing. And then I hear somebody whisper in my ear, like as close as they could be to my face. Sorry about the blood. And then I wake up and I have another bloody nose. Weren't we seeing like shadow? We saw like some shadows, real small, almost like just the top of somebody's head, like at the stairs. We were really kind of fixated on the stairs there. I think almost every single one of us saw that one at one point or another throughout the course of the evening. Maybe not all at once. Right. Like there was somebody coming up the stairs, but you just didn't, you know, didn't continue. So you saw their whole body. It was just kind of like the tops of their heads. Now, Meg, going back to that uh, that incident where you heard the whispering and you woke up with uh, another bloody nose, like person, like what were you feeling? What were you experiencing at that time? Did anything feel weird, or was it just there? It is, and now it's done. I feel like I was dozing off, like I was probably about to hit REM sleep, maybe, and then like it felt like somebody. I don't. I, I'm a I'm a light sleeper, uh, so like if people walk past me or someone talks to me while I'm not fully asleep, immediately like I'm awake. Maybe groggy, but I'm awake. So it felt like somebody like leaned over me, like into my ear that was not against the pillow and was like, sorry about the blood. And uh, it was like loud to me. Uh, um, but like, I didn't feel, let, let's try, I'm trying to, I didn't feel unsafe. I didn't feel dangerous. I didn't feel like, I didn't feel bad. It was just like, oh, oh, I'm awake now. Sorry about the blood. Oh shit. Why is my nose bleeding? It was more like confusion than anything. And then I was just like, well, I guess I'm not supposed to be sleeping. I'll go back downstairs. And this this was uh, this was well after all of the Estes session. This is like at this point. That was midnight. Midnight. Yeah. No, you guys were still doing stuff like I had like it was before Jill left even, I think, because I was just like, I don't like I'm so tired. I need a nap. And then when I got up and went back downstairs, you guys were still Messing with the REM pod, there's still people in the parlor. And I think Jill would Jill, you be like one o'clock, one thirty? Yeah, like one one thirty at the very latest. Because yeah, I was trying I think, to get some sleep because I had to get, you know, cleaned up and be at the doctor's office early. I think I got up and went back down to the parlor where you and like everybody else were still kind of doing their thing and like talked to Paul and Don and like hung out with Noah a little bit. Oh, that's right. I totally, totally spaced that Noah was there, too. He was pretty quiet all night. He's a quiet dude. <laughs> yeah, he's really pretty quiet. And um, But there was, now, I've gotten conflicting information. So the room that Todd and Lisa stayed in. They were directly across from me. So, like, if you go down that hallway all the way to the left, 
all the way back to the left was me, all the way back to the right was Todd and Lisa. Yes, but whose room was that? Was that Dillinger's room? Because it had a cane yes. out in the front. And we did not know that until the next day when you guys talked to, to Mike. Right. Mm. I think but it was Dillinger's. Yeah, that's one hundred percent clear though, even Mike says we have no one hundred percent verification of that. I just want to be clear to our listeners. But that seems to be the story in the folklore that has passed down is that that was Dillinger's hotspot specifically because there used to be a small staircase or like fire escape right next to that room where he could pop in and out unnoticed. Right. Or escape or whatever. That makes total sense. Yeah. Because that room now, Lisa, she saw figures moving around in that room later, I think, when they went to bed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When they. And they turned in. And like I said, I was seeing stuff when we were because we were literally like laying on our bellies or sitting in the, you know, crisscross looking down that hallway. And I was seeing just kind of stuff out of the out of the corner of my eye. Not not a lot. I mean, there had been previous reports of people seeing, you know, shadow figures, like especially like little real small shadow figures that were running up the walls. Really? But I didn't now I didn't see anything like that. These were like you know, more larger, kind of more, you know, attached sized. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's what a lot of us saw, especially during the experiments that we were doing in the hallway after we went all lights out. A lot of us, at least at one point or another throughout the evening, as you said, Jill saw something coming up the stairs and it's almost like somebody was like sticking their head out, kind of looking around the corner and seeing what was going on. And earlier that evening, whenever Lisa was doing a meditation experiment at the end of the hallway that closest to like that little school area, Todd said that he would see what looked like arms reaching through the banister of the stairs out at Lisa. So about the, it was the one Estes session and, oh, it, so it must have been the Estes session in, in the parlor. So what I recall, the fragments of I'm sorry, the little story that we put together. Um, I did get an EVP because I had been recording and I was, I was asking, you know, the, the spirits there, I was trying to connect with maybe, you know, some of the regulars and I had asked them something about, you know, how's the food, how's the whiskey. And I got some kind of a little garbled response. And it seems to me that they were trying to convey that, the downstairs was all business, you know, respectable hotel, you know, pillars of the community. And then all the shenanigans was upstairs. Yeah. If I remember correctly, that, uh, that that's what started to kind of bleed through specifically with that Estes session, but also with a lot of other interactions that all of us had. It seemed like... Um, but what was the term going around? Like boss man's hanging around downstairs, parties up front, business downstairs, or, or parties up top, businesses is on the first floor. Yeah, that was the feeling I got too. It was like you don't you don't want the town to really kind of know. I mean, everybody knows. It was kind of one of those wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. It's just a <laughs> say no more, say no more. <laughs> but I do, but I do wonder. You know, this whole this whole blood thing. So that, that to me felt like maybe like fist fights and, you know, brawls maybe, but you know, if it was a bordello, you know, there's some people that, that like things kind of rough. I kind of wonder if that was going on, but why me, you know, bordello, 
Yeah, but Bordello is not necessarily um, all consensual. Um, you know, there was there was some rough stuff that went on. There was a there was a house that one of my realtor friends had me come look at. This is in Indianapolis, and I think I'm maybe like 79th Street. It was one of the corridors of, of older houses, and they had come in and they had rehabbed them. And the woman in the upstairs, I mean, there were literal like handcuffs screwed into the wall at like six feet intervals up there. This was an Indy? Yeah, that's an Indy now. So, you know, once you start seeing things like that, it's, I think we all kind of, well, I don't know, I always had sort of this sort of old west kind of view of Bordellos, you know, like it's, um, what was that one show? You know, she was always, you know, the lovable, you know, woman that worked at the bordello. But I, I, I think the truth is actually far, far darker than that. Well, I don't know. I think you do always have to take that stuff with a grain of salt because currently, Jill, you're talking to two people that if we had stone basements, you better believe that me and Meg would end up putting up shackles. Am I right, Meg? I'm sitting in my basement right now and I'm not going to move the camera around. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Perfect. So, you know, to each their own. I'm just saying handcuffs doesn't necessarily mean that it's a dark time. Um, but I don't know. I mean, a, dark time, a dark time doesn't necessarily mean a bad time. But, as long as it's sensual. But I just don't go. know. I, I just I just don't know if some of these it was all consensual. Well, I'm, you know, I'm sure that Rhodes probably had its its fair amount of kerfuffles and, and issues, both with patrons and, and employees alike. I'm sure. I mean, it was. It was part of the times, basically. Um, but, like, overall, and, and you know, e- each and every year that I do this stuff, my, my senses kind of open up a little bit more, and I, I'm able to kind of pick up on my surroundings a little bit better. I never really picked up on anything, like, truly dark and negative. I think the one thing that I said is that Boss Man is curmudgeon He's a little grumpy. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the rest of them are all... <laughs> Yeah, come on in and have fun, folks. Even the the sorry about the blood thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jill. Yeah, he was like sorry about it. Like he didn't mean to. Like, like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. Sorry, sorry, I took your blood. Sorry about the blood. It wasn't like it wasn't like a malicious thing. It was very polite. Like, oh my god, I'm so sorry about the blood. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little too rough there. Sorry about that. Yeah, that was kind of my feeling. Like, you know, it, yeah, it was more about like, you know, don't water down the whiskey kind of. Yeah, it, it is not negative. Um, but it's definitely powerful. But just, yeah, just kind of rough. Yeah, powerful, kind of just rough and tumble a little bit, but not not like darker or negative. I, I think that Mike has done a really good job with the place. And I don't think that other investigators have brought too much ick there. No, and uh, he he's made it very very clear that that's not how he wants it to be spun there, and he is a hundred percent right. We know from personal experience that you can go to some of these places, and you you have you know quote unquote investigators come in who are there strictly for shock value, and all they do is just bring damage to the place. Whereas, look seriously, Rhodes Hotel that's one of those places. If I could rent the place out for a month just to hang out quantize this data because there's nothing scary there i mean i mean you can call it spooky just because it's out of the norm of our reality absolutely 100 percent. but it is interactive it will speak to you directly 
And what I find most interesting is it seems to be a mixture of residual and intelligent hauntings. I would agree with that. And, you know, now I was in Rhodes before Mike acquired it, and he's done an amazing job. Really? It had, yeah, it had a really bad mold problem. Um, yeah, that place was actually discovered um, by a woman. Her name was Darlene. Now, Darlene has since moved on to the Great Void. But uh, that was a property that had gone into foreclosure. Somebody had bought it, and they had turned it into apartments, and she was renting it. And she was a little bit, she was a little bit sensitive and she was the one that realized that the place was haunted and she started having, you know, started doing like little investigations and stuff. And I visited the property when it was put up for sale right before Mike, uh, right, right before Mike bought it. And yeah, he, he had a little bit of a mess to, to clean up. There was some mold and just a lot of really deferred maintenance and, you know, he had fallen into disrepair. Well, he's definitely done a great job. Like him and his whole team, that whole crew, they, they've done an exceptional job of of uh, restoring it. And, you know, honestly, I think that one is going to end up going into that extremely short list of places that I would like to go to on a regular basis. You know, like Waverly, I definitely want to go back. Rhodes, oh boy, do I ever. And I, and I want to actually set it up so that it's like multiple nights next time. Because... If it was that interactive with us, with us just walking in there for the very first time, imagine what would happen if we hunkered down for a few days and they get used to us even more. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I misspoke. There was a team that purchased it. They purchased it um, when it had been used as a rental. Then they purchased it, and they were the ones that um, they did fix up a lot. And they were the ones, I believe, that moved the furniture in. That actually got it furnished. Oh, okay. So they brought in all of the antiques that were period appropriate. Okay. I would say they probably did like the majority. Well, you know, you never, you never are done with a place like that. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I cannot remember. I can't remember the name of the, the, the paranormal team, but yeah, they bought it as a group and they brought in, they, they did the furniture and they did a lot of the renovations as well. So they did a really amazing job. Okay. So m- moving back to our experience there. So Jill, you left around uh, one or one thirty, correct? Yeah, and, that's about right. And Meg, correct me if I'm wrong. Around that time, after Jill took off, I think we all only hung out together for maybe another half hour, and then after that, we slowly started to make our way off to our own respective rooms. But the activity didn't stop there. Yeah, after Jill left, what I remember happening is. So you did the SS session upstairs. Jill left. We were all downstairs when Jill left. And then we went back upstairs. And I remember sitting in that hallway by the staircase with Todd and Lisa using a laser grid and like just kind of bullshitting for, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. And then I went to bed probably 2.30, maybe 3. But like I was just wiped tired uh like i was just like i'm I'm going to bed and i passed the fuck out like i my bed my head hit that pillow and i was unconscious and i do not i didn't hear anything i didn't see anything i didn't get any more bloody noses like i was just out see that's interesting because both you and lisa uh drop like sacks of potatoes almost simultaneously yeah yeah well i think we both went to bed roughly the same time yeah yeah and i think by the end of it, the only people who were actually still up and functional were me, Noah, Todd, and Peggy. And mm-hmm. one by one, all of us started to drop at one point or another. But what was it? Is it was it three thirty or four when the rim pod went off? Like numerous times. 
didn't wake me up, but didn't wake I don't you remember up? that at all. Yeah, I don't okay. remember that at all. So, oh, no, uh, that been, so that was your REM pod then at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah, that was the one that I left in the hallway uh, at night, and it went off numerous times. Apparently, Todd had Todd was up later than any of us, just kind of hanging out in the hallway and watching. And he was there when the REM pod went off, and then five seconds later goes off again. Thirty seconds later goes off again and holds for a minute. Oh, I think which, I did wake up, but I don't think it was that that woke me up. I think I woke up and needed to use the bathroom. I walked out into the hallway, and Todd was just sitting there, like making heavy eye contact with the REM pod. And uh-huh. I was like, hey, buddy, are you doing all right? And he was like, I'm yeah, good. And I was all like, good. all right, cool. So I went to the bathroom went back to bed. He's getting that machine gunner's eyes, the thousand-yard yeah, yeah. stare. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> he was just like, you know the look he has. Oh, he hell yeah. He was just doing that thing. And I think Lisa was in bed still. So he, I think yeah. he was just sitting in the hallway like. Wasn't one of the, wasn't one of the bathrooms kind of had kind of a vibe? I think everybody just used the same bathroom that one bathroom just had kind of a vibe the one downstairs too. sucked. The one upstairs was all right. I uh, see. I had the opposite feeling. One downstairs was fine. The one upstairs, I got seriously creepy vibes in. Like really, really creepy vibes. It was the upstairs. Yeah, it was the upstairs one for me. I I didn't. Yeah, I, yeah, I there's some of that. I don't like. I don't know if it was the bathtub. I, there was something up there I didn't like. It was the upstairs one for me. I was like, no thanks. I guess my hatred of going up and down a staircase repeatedly uh, won out over my uh, <laughs> weird feelings about a bathroom. So <laughs> nice. I love it. That's great. That's great. <laughs> I mean, you guys remember at Waverly, and then we're like, we're going to the fifth floor, and I'm like, well, we're going to stay up there for a little while. Because if we're not, I'm not going. I'm not going. Yeah, yeah. I think we had gotten a little bit of REM pod or some kind of K2 hits at the, um, at the, on the hallway, the stairs are at one end. Then at the far end, there was like a little, um, a little table with two chairs, which would be right outside of that alleged, you know, Dillinger room. I think we got a little yeah. couple things over there. That Not was a- uh, in the hallway, right, right between Todd and Lisa and mine's room. And right behind that table and chairs would have been where that old fire exit was. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause we, we did get some, we did get some hits there. Cause so. there was a door there on the wall, but like it was sealed. And mm-hmm. like, if you looked out, it was just out to nothing, but apparently there used to be a staircase there. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause we had gotten some hits over there. So Jill, I got a, I have to formally thank you on air for this one because you're the one who put Rhodes Hotel into my rotation. And I've had the opportunity to visit a lot of places in the last few years, but I've never come across any place quite like that. It's it's very, very different. It's very, very active. And whatever it is you think you're going to run into there, it's probably going to meet those expectations plus a little bit more. I was I was really impressed. Thank you. You, Yeah, you are very welcome. Rhodes has been on my radar for such a long time, because like I said, you know, I had been there, you know, when it was just a rental unit, you know, I viewed it, I toured it as a a real estate agent. I was kind of watching that property saying, you know, this, I I just, I hope somebody can, you know, take care of this place and and get it back to some of its former glory. Mm. And then, and then everybody I knew was investigating it except me, like something always happened. I just, I never got to investigate it. So for, you know, spending so, so many decades in Indianapolis, I was like, it was nice to finally 
actually have a real investigation there instead of, you know, just touring it or just, you know, driving by. Yeah, I am. I'm definitely looking forward to going back and visiting again. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'll take any chance I can to possibly support uh, Mike and Lost Limbs Foundation and everything that they do. But as far as a haunt goes, I think there is real potential there to potentially build up a rapport if, if we can log in like enough hours there to the point that it gets used to it. Because there, there is something very, very directly interactive with it. Like when you go there, it'll, it'll call you out. It will, it will show things to just you, Meg, you had yours, you know, I had mine. Um, it will reach out to individuals and then it'll also display itself in a broader scope for other people to witness, which I just find it to be. And it's, it's not, it's not shy about it at all. <laughs> no, it doesn't appear to be at all. It, it, it seemed like it was it was totally fine with people coming in. I mean, which is kind of in keeping, you know, with being a hotel. I mean, a hotel, you know, back in the day, you'd, I mean, you'd have regulars, you'd have people that would probably almost live there, you know, like that was their place that they lived, you know, like their residence. And then I think, you know, then there'd be extremely transient people, whoever got off the stagecoach or the railroad or, you know, whatever mode of transport was there. And, you know, then you had the staff and I think those places really get a lot of, of just really deep embedded um, energy and residuals. And and like you said, I think there is also some intelligent aspect to it. Well, it's, it almost falls in the lines with like uh, theaters. You just have so much spiritual uh, traffic going through there that whether or not it's actually a part of the individuals themselves, there's an imprint left there that can resonate and can last for a very, very long time. I definitely all think that's... spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hotels, brothels, theaters. They're all places of transitions. Yeah. So makes sense. Yeah, and I, I think when you know when you when you want to investigate, you need to kind of do the whole palette because they each have like a distinctive energy to themselves. Um so yeah, and the, and there's not a whole lot really that um that are available to investigate. No, not really. And especially none that is uh, unsoiled as, as roads. Because, I mean, let's face it, if if you get too many paranormal investigators going in, somebody's going to drag in some crap on their shoe and it's going to stick. Uh, but luckily they've seemed to have avoided that and I, I hope they'll stick with it. So anybody who's listening, if you decide to go there, show respect and, and don't don't try to spin it into some sort of spook house because it's definitely not. It's something very special. And it needs to be revered as such. Yeah, I think, too, um, you know, the fact that he has centered his charity there, I think that that actually brings a lot of good karma to the place. I, I, and, you know, and you think, too, about what Mike does, you know, being, you know, for amputees, you know, and that was still about the era when, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, war veterans you know, that was, you know, if you lost a limb before, you, you know, you didn't get a prosthetic. You were just limbless for the rest of your life. And so I think maybe even kind of the, the spirit sort of recognize, you know, the work that that he does. Well, before we start uh, wrapping up here, I, I wanted to take a little bit of time just to to ask each one of you individually what your own personal thoughts about Rhodes Hotel are and what you think is really going on there. I mean, I have my own opinion, but I would like to hear your twos as well. What's really going on? Um, 
I think we pretty much covered it. I, I think that there is a mix. I think there's some interactive intelligence stuff there. Uh, you know, maybe former staff members, you know, travelers. It's, it seems to be just a really good mix of, of different energies and different spirits. Yeah. Meg, what about you? What are your thoughts on it? Uh, I have a hard time stating what's really going on, air quotes, about anything, because I'm me. Um, however, they've stolen my blood, so now I have to go back. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody was doing blood magic, yes, now you have to return. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Go back and steal my blood back. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, no, Meg, you make a really good point. Like, how how can any of us really, truly know, like, you know, what what is the, the real deal? I mean, that's just our perception and, you know, filtered through our lens. But yeah, it um, I would definitely go back. I I think it's a it's a really cool place to investigate. Oh, we're going back. That, that That's without a doubt. We are going back. And, and this time I want to I, I, now that I know a little bit more about the place, as much as I appreciated going in blind, uh, experiencing it the way that I did, now that now that I know what I do know about it, I definitely want to set up like a longer stretch, two to three days at minimum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and did you uh, did you talk about the ghost cat? I actually, we will be mentioning that in this episode. We talk about it a little bit with Mike in the previous one, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna talk to to Don about that in this episode and get that whole story, which is just absolutely delightful. So just stay tuned, folks. We're we're not done here yet. We got Don coming up next. We got more cat energy. I swear. Oh God, it's, it's, it's a mean, lot of cat energy going on it's here. It's always man. a cat. <laughs> it was a cat house. But um, bumps. Hey. I see what you did there. Well, Jill, Megan, I want to thank you both so much for popping on and sharing your perception of our experience at Rhodes Hotel, which was just absolutely delightful. Jill, thank you again for putting that onto my radar. Otherwise, I probably would have completely overlooked it because it's still a very little known spot. And um, maybe we should actually keep it that way. (laughs) You're very welcome. As always, I'd like to thank Jill and Meg for joining me with their experiences. At this point, I think those two have been with me on more investigations than anyone else, so their perspectives are always valued. Next up, we're going to hear from XV Planet's newcomer, Don Dudding. Don is a retired teacher and professor, paranormal enthusiast, and currently publishes a rather humorous webcomic called Pomo's Bar and Grill, which can best be described as clever dad jokes, dinosaurs, and other oddities. Don was one of a handful of new faces that joined us for this particular investigation. And he had a noteworthy experience that ties into some of the lore of the Rhodes Hotel that we discovered after the investigation. So without further ado, please welcome Don Dudding to XV Planets. Well, Don, I want to thank you so much for popping on the show to share your experiences on uh, Rhodes Hotel. Before we get into that stuff, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm a retired high school English teacher and college professor. I spent 30 years teaching high school. I spent about another 10 teaching um, college writing. I have a PhD in composition and rhetoric. And uh, 
now I'm retired and, and I uh, publish a, a daily webcomic. So uh, that's about my life in a nutshell. Now, and what's the name of that comic? Because I'm a big fan. And I'm going to stick this in the show notes for people to click on and go check it out. Oh, that's great. Um, the comic is called Pomo's Bar and Grill. And uh, it's available on almost all social medias except for Twitter, because when Elon Musk changed Twitter to X the other day, I decided I was done with that. So so it's no longer there. But it's it's on um, it's on threads. It's on Facebook. It's on Instagram. It's on Mastodon. It's on post. It's on uh, spoutable. It's on. Uh, gosh, uh, it's also like on dedicated cartoon sites called Webtoons and uh, webcomic feed. So I publish in a lot of places. I also have my own website, which is pencilzania.com. But um, I, I think it's if the people are interested in reading you know, the archive of old stuff, it's better to go to like Instagram or something like that where they can just I mean, all the all the old comics are there. So anyway. Okay, great. Yeah, and I'll be sure to have all of those links posted in the show notes. So guys, definitely go and check it out. I can personally say that uh, uh, these comics provide me well-needed chuckles uh, from time to time. So well, I, I well, appreciate that's kind. it. That's very kind. I appreciate you saying that, John. It's, it's dad humor and dinosaurs. It just doesn't get much better than that. You know? Yes, it really. It honestly, <laughs> from the very beginning, it was it was my my goal to do like a dad comic because... I just wanted to do something really kind of simple and funny and, um, you know, wholesome on one end, but just corny. I mean, there's nothing wrong. I was always a big fan of Nancy and Sluggo and, and Charlie Brown and, mm-hmm. and, you know, just the, your classic 60s, 70s kind of uh, comics. And so that's that's kind of what I'm shooting for. Well, you're you're definitely emulating that, and I can appreciate it because I I, I come from that generation that was right on the cusp to appreciate the uh, the classic styles of of like paneled humor uh, up yeah. into the modern. So um, I I give it two thumbs up. So yeah, everybody, be sure to click those links in the show notes and go check this out if you need to chuckle. I appreciate it. By the way, yeah. if you hear a growl or a bark, I've got a, a a little corgi, and and she if if a leaf flies by the, by the back window, she starts barking. So you know she's that's she's fine. Like, you know. We've actually had this uh, strange phenomenon of suicidal birds flying into our windows. So if you hear thumps in the background. That's, okay. That's what's happening. Yeah. Okay. okay. Animals just, are getting weird. <laughs> just, just, no, she's okay. But every now and then, for no reason, she'll just start barking. So, you know, that's, that's the corgi way, though. She's a corgi. So, every dog has their fixation. Yeah. And every dog loves sky raisins, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Don, um, you had the opportunity to come and join us for our investigation of uh, Rhodes Hotel. And before we get into our review of that, I, I'm curious, was that your first paranormal investigation you've ever been on? Um, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I've been on um, more minor kind of uh, amateur kind of stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that, I mean, this was professional. I guess it was, but this is the first like real investigation I went out with people who knew what they were doing. I really feel like you and, and the others there had a had a good grip on how to go about it. So it was fun watching people who knew what they were doing. I'll just you know say what? that. I, I sincerely appreciate that because I have no clue what in the hell I'm doing. I, I'm <laughs> honestly, I'm really just winging it. But uh, 
I, I think that's the thing that makes us stand out is that we don't uh, we don't follow dogmatic practices. Um, we're we're kind of trying to do something a little bit different with it. Well, I tell you what I appreciated is how good natured it was. I mean, everybody was there to have like a good time. I mean, people were serious about in 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 their in their goals or their efforts to try and and get some results. And I think people saw some really good results that night. But everybody was super kind. Everybody was jovial. It was just fun. I mean, people were just fun. Everybody was there. There wasn't a single person there that I wouldn't just hang out with anyway. You know what I right. mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, we we lucked out. It was a phenomenal group all the way around. Tons of great people. But, you know, you mentioned that jovial sort of thing. And honestly, you could kind of say that might have something to do with the location that we were at. Yeah, um, yeah, the history of it, known for being like a brothel and party house, and and there's a, a whole other interview with Mike Couch on here that references a lot of that. So we'll we'll kind of gloss over that for a second. But it uh, it's as somebody who's been to numerous uh, purported haunted sites over the last several years, I can say that this one had a very very different energy, and it was very lighthearted. It was very fun. Um, I do believe that we were getting some really, really interesting uh, interactions with a phenomena that could potentially be there. And none of it was, ooh, spooky, scary. You know, it was all kind of jokes and having fun. Yeah, and that's that's exactly the things I told people when I got back because people were asking me about it. They were like, "Oh, you went and did this thing. How was it? Was it was it creepy? Was it scary?" And I was like, "No, it was a good time. It yeah. was fun. I mean, I, and I had I had a you know an experience in the middle of the night that I knew was a, a, a like a paranormal supernatural experience. And it's weird for me to be saying that because I'm not the kind of guy whoever I expected to say in public, hey. I had a supernatural experience, but, but it was, it was so, it was funny. I mean, it was just, it, it was goofy. I, I wasn't, I never got scared. I never got creeped out. There was nothing, nothing spooky about any of it. It was just fun. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, that this, this experience that you're referencing, which we're going to dig into here in a second, right, was, was uh, so throughout the course of the evening, that was your only real big one. I mean, you were there for some other events that happened, but you were kind of like on the, uh, the outside of those experiments instead of in the middle, whereas this one happened to you directly, right? It, yes, it just... that, I was, that's a good way of saying it. I, I, was, I was there pretty much watching what other people were doing. And, and I was participating a little bit, like when people were, were using devices to try and ask questions, I might ask a question now and then, but, but I was just, just happy to watch other people do their thing. And so, and, and I, you know, um, my, my favorite thing that I saw that night, and maybe we'll talk about it in a little bit, a little bit was, was, um, you, you were on the the ST box. Is that what we call it? The ST box. Oh, the spirit box. Yeah, the spirit box. Yeah, and and you're on one end of the upstairs hallway, and I was on the other end of the uh, upstairs hallway. And somebody had this laser grid set out so that if anything moved in the laser grid, you know, lights would flash or things would go off. And and I I really enjoyed watching you do that while we're all looking at the grid. <laughs> It just, it was just so much fun. I mean, I, that was, that was a good time. That's all I'm saying. I, 
I was, it was, it was just, I'm, I was giddy about it because it was so much fun. So, yeah. Well, Don, just wait until the next one that you join us on because uh, both Jill and I have some new toys that are going to blow that, that grid out of the water. So, like, we'll, we'll have to drag you back out on another one here relatively I'll, soon. I'll be, I'll be, I'm looking forward to doing it again. I really am. Oh, absolutely. Um, you got an open invite, man. You were a great presence. Um uh, you really kind of fit the mood with the whole crew as, as you know, just as much as you said, we do take this stuff very seriously, but we like to have fun with it. We're, we're not so serious that it's all doom and gloom all the time because, you well, know. Uh, yeah, the way I think I would say it is you, you take the investigation serious, but you don't take yourselves seriously. You know what I mean? Like we all, we all just, we, we, we're, we're not, we're all, you know, kind of happy go lucky and enjoyable, fun people, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and, and so what we're doing is kind of serious, but as people, we're not serious people, you know, hundred percent agree. I try being serious about myself for years. It just totally did not pan out. It just <laughs> yeah, didn't work. <laughs> there was a time when I was a college professor, I might've been a little bit serious about who I was, but you know, that's in the past. So, you know, I, I, I think there might be something to the science of, of that period of time happening between the ages of 34 to 42. And then before and after that, it's a completely different experience. Nice. Somewhere nice. in, yeah. somewhere in that time frame is a very self-absorbed <laughs> period. Yeah. Yeah, and then you evolve a little bit, you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, back to uh, the investigation. Yeah, that that particular experiment where we were doing the Estes session on the uh, on the second floor hallway was pretty interesting, and we got some pretty interesting feedback, both in an audible sense, and then other people were mentioning that they were seeing um, shadows kind of moving along certain corners as that grid was going. Now, we never caught any of that on video, but to be honest, at this point, capturing evidence is no longer my bag. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. I'm just here to go along with the ride and figure out what the phenomenon is. And the Rhodes Hotel definitely has a varied sort of phenomenon. But as we were saying earlier, it all seems to be very lighthearted. It's very playful, and it's interactive in a way that I've never experienced at any other haunted location. And... At times, you know, we reached out to it and we got some responses or it reached out to us and the same thing happened. Or, for instance, we had the, the rim pods set up in the hallway all night and sometime between the hours of 2.30 and 3.30 in the morning, that thing started going off like gangbusters as something was walking back and forth up and down the hall. But you had a very, very particular direct experience, and that's the one we were just referencing a few minutes ago, that I'd really like to dig into uh, with you about, because before we even were aware, you apparently might have experienced a a household apparition that we were yeah. unaware of until the following morning, and I just yeah. I wanted to touch on this before I play Mike's recap about what that is. Okay, sure. Uh, so... So the, the 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 cool thing about this particular location was that there were roughly a dozen of us there and it was a very small hotel. I mean if when people we use the word hotel we should probably use that word in quotes almost because there was only like 12 rooms in the whole place and it was all in all those rooms were upstairs and and so 
Um, it was nice that that there were just enough rooms for each of us to have our own room, you know, but we were still a very small group. So like when most people use the word hotel, you know, you're thinking of a of a place or a building that would probably hold, you know, 50 rooms or 100 rooms or more, right. you know, yeah. so that the fact that this place only had like like a dozen total uh, it was just gives you an, a, an idea of the scale, how small it was. Well, um, everybody who spent the night there that night had their own room. And we all kind of just just when we got there, kind of picked out rooms. And and I picked out a room on the corner of the building and not that it mattered. I mean, just just letting you know. And so um, in the room that I was in, uh, there was a door to the hallway, but. As in a lot of old hotels, there's connecting rooms between two rooms, and there was no door between me and the room next door. There was a curtain hanging there, but there was there was no door. And okay, given the circumstances of you know being a being a, a new guy, you know not ever doing this stuff before or whatever. When it when I was tired and I was ready to go to bed, and and honestly, I don't know ex- what time that was. I, I'm thinking it was around 1.30. It might have been closer to 2. I don't even know what time I went to bed that night. But when I went to go to bed that night, um, it's an old hotel. It's not really kept up as a hotel. It's a place where you you just you're basically camping out in there. So I threw a sleeping bag on top of, of the bed that was there, and I very deliberately made sure that the curtain was closed between me and the and the next room over. So uh, so the door to the hallway was closed because there was a door there. But there was in the doorway between my room and the next room, there was just a curtain. And I very deliberately pulled that curtain closed for privacy. And the other thing that's kind of funny is 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 that room was empty all night. I think all the other rooms were taken, but that particular room, nobody spent the night in. And, originally, and I, originally, I was supposed to stay in there, but okay. after, after we had some other people leave, I decided to move into the room across the hall so that I could, you know, much like you, have a little bit of privacy and actually close a door. And for frame of reference to our listeners, the room that, that Don is talking about it was also the room that had the door that led up to the attic. Right, in the other room. So there was a there was a room to the attic in that room. Well, well anyway... um. So I got in my sleeping bag and and I and I either fell asleep or um, laid there for a while. But at some point in the night, um, I woke up because there was a cat jumping on the bed and there was a cat kind of jumping on me. And the only reason I, I know exactly that it was a cat is because I have a cat back at the house. And I know exactly what it's like to have a cat jump on your bed in the middle of the night because it happens to me almost every night. Almost every night, my cat jumps on the bed and it either wants to go out or it wants to lick my hand or 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 you know whatever. So eat your I'm, toes, steal your breath like cats do. You, you know what cats do, <laughs> and and so I was very used to it. And so I honestly I didn't think anything about it because i thought well there's a cat in this building and and somehow you know somebody let it in and i really didn't care that i wanted the cat to go bother somebody else so i'm like not now kitty go away you know and and i just kind of gave it a shove or a push or whatever and um went back to bed i mean went, went back to sleep i should say so the next morning when i woke up 
you know, that curtain that I had deliberately closed that night and made sure was closed was about a third to a fourth of the way open between my room and the next room. So someone or something had moved that curtain aside a little bit. And 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 I kind of thought, well, you know, I'm just an old guy sleeping in a sleeping bag. There's no way anybody would want to like peek in and watch me sleep. I mean, that's just not nobody would do that. I mean, I just don't believe anybody on this team would have any interest in in watching me sleep in a sleep in a sleeping bag. You know, I mean, but when I was telling people about it the next day, nobody knew anything about it. No one was like, yeah, that was me. I opened the curtain or moved it. So nobody knew anything about why or how that curtain would have moved. And the only thing I can say about it is I know where the curtain was when I went to sleep and I know where the curtain was when I woke up. And it had moved. So, and in between, so you had this cat entity experience. Yeah. So I. So really, there were two things that happened that night. One was the cat, and the other was the curtain moved. And I don't know if the curtain opened when the cat went out. I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't know what moved the curtain. But something moved the curtain, and it felt a cat on me. And so I was telling everybody about the cat, and and they're like, "Oh, really? You got a ghost cat? Because well, there's no cats in here. There's no cat came in. There, you know, there's no cat." And I'm like, "Oh, cool! I got visited by a ghost cat." And that's that's and that's and it, like I say, it never did feel creepy or strange or odd. It just was like kind of matter of fact. You know, the door was still shut, and uh, if the cat came in, it came in through that curtain. That's all I could figure. Right. So. Now, what amazes me about this story, though, is is that um, whenever we got there the night before and we were introduced to Mike, who's the manager of the property, and he was asking, like, do you guys want to know anything? And we were all very open about, like, no, we want to go in blind. I mean, we have a basic idea of what's going on here, but I would prefer not to be led by other people's investigations and, and just do my own, right? Yeah. And, and so the next morning... You're telling us this story. I'm like, cool, we got a ghost cat, which is, you know, honestly, it's not the first time that I've encountered one. So made me chuckle a little bit. And not 20 minutes later, I sit down with my couch and I'm like, okay, we've done our investigation. Now I'd like to hear from you. And this guy kicks off with the uh, the cat story. So the fact that he literally laid that out not even 30 minutes after you shared your experience with me was like a kind of a huge slap in the face. And in my opinion, probably one of the highest points of the entire investigation. Oh, that's hilarious. Because, you know, uh, to me, it was just it was like it was like the icing on the cake for for having fun. You know, I mean, it was just it was it was fun, the whole thing. And and just that you know something something just kind of kind of goofy and strange happened i'm i'm all about it you know what i mean it was it was it was good you know and and i have i have no doubts at all about what happened and then what i felt i mean i mean is it possible i dreamed it yes but uh i didn't i know i didn't dream it because I, as i say i had that i had that experience of a cat jumping on the bed so frequently, I knew exactly what it was, and it didn't bother me, you know, because... Didn't you even describe it as, like, you could feel it doing its rotations and making biscuits? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, 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 doing, yeah. Doing, the, doing the things that cats do. Like, yeah, it was <laughs> jumping on me, and it was doing the biscuits thing, you know, and, and, and I was just like, all right. But I am tired because, you know, we drove a few hours to get there the day before, 
And, you know, we'd stayed up far later than I usually stay up. And, <laughs> and I was tired and I was just like, okay, cat, just go bother someone else. You know, we all actually had, um, visitors of some sorts uh, that evening in our respective rooms, which is kind of fascinating. We'll be touching on that a little bit later in the series. Don, just your overall perception and feeling about Rhodes Hotel and and would you want to go back? Oh yeah, I would I would go back. I mean I think if 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 I go join you guys for another investigation, it would be fun to do some other location now just to see how things, you know, uh, happen at other places, but would I go back? Oh yeah, because um, there's absolutely nothing there that I thought was worrisome or or you know concerning or you know cautionary. There was not a thing there that that, that wouldn't be worth going through because it was just fun. It's just a good time. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. And this is something that Mike really leans into when he's talking about his own experiences. There is that. Is it active? 100%. Absolutely. Yes. Is it something you should be worried about? I mean, probably not unless you want to get a whole night's sleep because they definitely tend to come out in the wee hours of the morning and hang out with you. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing bad about it, but uh, it, it can definitely take you by surprise. And I think that's the only thing that anybody should be concerned about when it comes to Rhodes Hotel. Yeah, well, th there was nothing sinister about anything. I no, mean, that was, not at all. It, not, not, not at all, you know, so yeah. that's kind of cool. Hopefully we'll get you uh, on to another investigation by the end of the year if all goes well, hey? Oh, oh that would be great. And, and you know, John, I just want to say thank you for, for inviting me and, and, and letting me, you know, be a part of the, of, of the group for a night. And, and I, I enjoy um, what you do. And I, I think what, you, you know, I'm glad there are people who, who do, uh, investigate, um, you know, the, 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 the strange and the offbeat and, and, you know, um, whether you use the word paranormal or supernatural or, or, you know, whatever definitions people get into. Um, and I just want to close by saying, you know, I taught, as I mentioned earlier, I taught, I taught writing for, for a long time. And I taught writing in high school and I've taught writing to adults and college students and and uh, I've taught in workshops. And one prompt that I've used over the years is is um, when I'm asking people to do some writing is I would ask them, write a story about something that you can't explain that happened to you. And um, I would say, uh, given you give people five minutes and you give them a few examples from your own life. And I would say very easily, 90% of people can come up with a story. And so, you know, when everybody thinks that the odd and the strange is really unusual, then what's, what's really, really kind of is funny about that is, yeah, but how come 90% of us have had some kind of experience like that? I mean, if all this stuff is as unusual and strange as other people want to make it out to be, is it because, you know, everybody else's strange and unusual stuff either gets filed away or forgotten or they just they just categorize it as as, you know, something not worth thinking too much about. So I think it's I think it's far more common than people give it credit. And 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 I really, really feel like if you if you ask most people, if given given five or 10 minutes, if they can think of something that, that happened to them that they can't really explain. And most most people can. Most people can. I 100% agree with you. And and honestly, this is something that I've been talking about for quite a while is that I uh, I don't think that the increase in, in global interest in the paranormal in all its varied forms um, 
that's happening right now is is really a coincidence. I, I think collectively we are all uh, taking a much deeper interest in this, and we're all starting to look at it from varied different points of view. Yeah, and I think that's a healthy thing. I think that's really healthy for our culture. And I also feel like, uh, and I, you know, I don't want to get political or or whatever. I, I'm not interested in that. But I would say that I think the this a lot of the stigma of people looking into this stuff is is not as as deeply ingrained as it would have been 30 40 50 years ago. I mean, you know, you know back back, you know, uh when I was a teenager, anybody who was interested in the supernatural or the cult, they were it was it was like horror movie stuff. It was like why are you why are you, you know, looking looking to to uh, invite right. But it's it's I don't feel like that stigma is there anymore. I mean, I feel like people can can look into whatever they want and uh, they have to kind of use their own common sense about about you know is this is this fun is this goofy is this a good time are you serious about looking in looking for for answers or you know if if you are the mindset that there's something sinister or dark about it then yeah you shouldn't be doing it you know I mean anyway I just want no, to I, I I I agree and I, I think what we're I think what's happening right now is like because of the snowballing interest in all these varied subjects and I mean let's be honest the uh the UAP boom that has happened since 2017 is definitely oh, yeah. a, a larger part in how the grander population of the planet views this stuff um I do think that we're at a point that more and more people are taking it more seriously they're looking into it more seriously and maybe we're almost at the crux where we can stop having so many paranormal investigators and maybe we can get back into parapsychology let's bring yeah. it back into academics like let's yeah. let's quantify this stuff with data right um we right. we lost and, and, that and, and in think... higher learning institutions over the last 20 years but it seems to be making a comeback now yeah, and and the other thing, I, and I think it has to do with the, with the popularity of podcasting, because of of you know the growth and and interest in in people um, who can build an audience with just a microphone and 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 compelling stories, is when when any time a podcast such as yours builds an audience, it also builds a community that will begin to have conversations with each other. And and so people start finding each other and then you start having this kind of network of people who are on the same same vibe and, and feel the same kind of ways about it. And 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 that was something that I I just don't see how it could have happened without podcasters. I mean, really. So, yeah. Well, thank, thanks for having me on today, John. And it's, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Really, really fun. I'm, I'm glad I know you now. I'd like to thank Don for sharing his encounter with the ghost cat of Rhodes Hotel with us. I found that to be a delightful little epilogue to our experience there, and it really kind of sums up the vibe of the whole place. Now, before we close this series out, there was an event that evening that I have only hinted a little at. 
Most of what occurred we've tackled through the other interviews we've shared on this series, but there was one particular incident that I and I alone experienced that I'd like to talk about for a moment. And it's important to remember what I was discussing with Jill and Meg earlier about the supposed spirit of one Sarah, and by the way, if you want to hear that particular Estes session where Sarah is mentioned, you can find it on our Patreon feed. As the evening died down, the group slowly but surely broke away and returned to their rooms to catch some Z's before we all had to depart for what was, for most of us at least, quite a long distance to travel. From the moment I retreated to my room, I had the sense that I wasn't alone. You know how even when your eyes are closed or all the lights are off, you can still tell when someone else is in the room? Call it a sixth sense or a sensitivity to the environment around you, but most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I knew from the instant the door latched that I was sharing the air and space with someone, or something. At this point I've had so many strange encounters with such a wide variety of unexplainable phenomena that the current circumstances developing in my room didn't really throw me in the slightest. Even with the lurking presence, I went on about my nightly routine, preparing for a brief rest. Eventually, I hit the lights and laid down in bed, nestling in for a well-deserved break. It took maybe ten minutes right as my consciousness was about to slip over the edge and into the land of Nod, before the presence made itself known to me again. This time I could sense something moving in the room. I could hear the wood creak in response to footsteps. I could feel the air get ever so slightly colder. And I could feel the pressure change as something moved from the far corner of the room closer to the foot of my bed. And at this point, my own curiosity took over, and so I lifted my head and twisted my body to observe the far edges of the room to scan the darkness that was behind me. It took a few passes, but out of the corner of my eye, I noticed a shadow taller, darker, and denser than any other in my limited field of vision. I rolled back over and continued my attempt at sleep, but the floorboards creaked closer. When I lifted my head a second time, I saw that the shadow was closer and vaguely resembled the shape of a woman with long hair and a dark dress. Again, I rolled back into my fetal position, intent on getting some rest no matter who was haunting me. Around this time, the rim pod that we had set up in the hallway, which was just outside of my door, went off several times in succession. It was at this point that I remembered the Estes session from the hallway. Sarah, I like this one. I'll stay. Once it all clicked in my head, I lifted my head off of the pillow and softly asked, Sarah, is that you? I felt the pressure on the edge of my bed change, as if someone were sitting down. When I lifted my head to look again, I could see the shadow of a shape. There was someone perched at the foot of my bed. Now here's where things get funny, spooky, interesting, maybe even a little scary, sexy all at once. I said out loud, I don't mind you being here, and I don't mind your presence in the slightest, but I am exhausted and need some rest, so feel free to stay, but I don't have the energy to interact this late or early in the morning. So I welcome you to stay, but I must ask you to be still. At that moment, the pressure of the foot of the bed moved closer to the center, and the air became warmer. Not by much, but enough for me to throw one-third of the covers off of me to regulate my body temperature better. At this point, the center of the anomalous pressure was almost aligned with my hips, and I could feel the pressure spread. The mattress sank slightly in these spots, and as the anomaly expanded it began to feel like somebody was laying down on the bed behind me, as if to be the big spoon of this slumber. I felt warmth generating from whatever was behind me, an extreme cold on the outside of the temperature zone it was creating. I felt that warmth fold around my arms and pull, just as if someone was cuddling me. It wasn't an intense physical pressure, 
but it was enough for me to know that it wasn't coming from my own body heat or constriction of sheets. Someone was cuddling up with me. And once things settled, I was out like a light. I slept deep. Very deep that night. It wasn't until the following morning as we were preparing to leave that we received confirmation from Mike about a young woman named Sarah that used to work there, as well as the Phantom Kitty. So, my final thoughts on Rhodes Hotel? Well, I can't explain what's going on at Rhodes Hotel any more than the next jackass with a K2 meter and good intuition can tell you. And anyone who says they can is either full of shit, batshit crazy, or Doctor Who. But what I can say with the utmost confidence is that this is a location that seemingly hosts two types of paranormal activity at the least. Residual and intelligent hauntings. Now that is unique. From the moment we entered the house, whatever stays there immediately started reaching out to our presence. Through the course of the investigation, many of us feel that we had built a connection, or certainly a rapport, with these entities that inhabit the historic house. We've been on dozens of investigations these last few years, and each one is unique in its own way. But what made Rhodes significantly different is that when the phenomena came out to play, there was nothing disturbing about it. No tricksters, no darkness, no paranormal pranks, just a lot of energy that seemed to react with joy and enthusiasm to the right presences. So my final thought on the Rhodes Hotel is that it is a beautiful place, and I can't wait to return to experience it again. Once again, I'd like to thank Mike Couch and Rhodes Hotel for allowing us to investigate this amazing piece of history, and to Lisa, Todd, Megan, Jill, and Don for sharing their experiences with us. Don't forget to tune in in two weeks when we return for the second annual Spookier Side of the Shroom with some of our colleagues from the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. In the meantime, if you're craving more XV Planus, consider donating to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash xvplanus, where you'll gain access to our exclusive content. There's a whole separate series on there, as well as extended interviews, exclusive episodes with special guests, and much more. And for our subscribers, you can once again hear the entirety of the Estes session that was mentioned in this episode, as well as the uncut interviews with Don, Jill, and Meg. Don't forget to follow us on Blue Sky, Twitter, and no, I am not calling it X, Instagram, threads, Facebook, everywhere as XVPlanus. And you can follow my personal misadventures and music projects at Folds and Floods on those same platforms. Links for both are in the show notes. If you like what we do here, please head on over to iTunes or Spotify to rate and especially review us. And tell your friends about us. Tell your families about us. Hell, yell at random people in the library about us. Well, maybe not that one. You might get into a little trouble. We are a DIY independent production, and the only way that we will grow is by you sharing us with others who might enjoy taking this trip down many a rabbit hole with us. Be sure to check out all of the great shows on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network, like Luxa Cold, Administrism, Unearthing Paranormalcy, and more. While the website isn't quite up to date yet, you can go to www.greenmushroomproject.com and add that to your bookmarks to keep up with the network in the future. The show is produced in the Black Lodge, wherever that resides in this moment of time and space, and is written, edited, and scored by yours truly. Music from the show can be found on my Bandcamp page for Folds and Floods or anywhere you stream your music. No part of this show or its music may be reproduced without consent. Copyright Folds and Floods Productions. Once again, I am your host, Flood, and this has been XV Planets. Thank you for being a part of the journey so far. I'll see you in the between. In Abumbratio, in Fluctus, Subvelo. <laughs>